You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. We're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke, and I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 19. We're going to focus on uh, verses 1 through 10. Maybe a familiar passage to some of us, but I promise you this morning, you're going to hear some new truths because this is such a beautiful passage from the culture of the first century that just reveals the heart of God. Now, a few weeks ago, if you were with us Christmas Eve Eve, I mentioned that there's over 200 titles for Jesus in the Old and New Testament. And these titles represent who he is as God, his character, his attributes, his serving, and so forth. This morning we come to one of those titles from the New Testament, and personally, it is my all-time favorite title. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. So let's pause just for a moment right now. What does that mean for your life and mine today, right now? That Jesus is your friend. Why? Because we're sinners, right? And that was a title, please don't miss this, given to Jesus in the ancient world. But here's the thing, folks. It was given in a derogatorily way, not in an honoring and blessed way. They indicted Jesus for being a friend of sinners. Boy, if I could have an epitaph at the end of my day on my tombstone, a friend of sinners. I'll take that hands down any day. How about you? But that's what Jesus is, and that's what we're going to explore today. So I hope you have your Bibles, Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. And I'm going to do a little bit of commentary as I read through the passage. So stick with me. I have a visual aid that I want to share with you. But let's start out with verse 1 and 2. He, Jesus, entered Jericho, was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus, and notice the detail Luke gives, who was a chief tax collector, and guess what? The dude was rich. Now, why does he highlight chief tax collector? A few reasons, folks. Tax collectors in the ancient world were the scum of the earth. They were on the bottom rung of the ladder. Nobody wanted to hang out with tax collectors, period. They were despised, they were hated, they worked for Rome, they were traitors. And yet, here's Zacchaeus, he is a chief tax collector. He is the leader of leaders of these traitors, of these despised and despicable people in the ancient world. Continuing on, verse 3. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. Isn't it great the detail Luke gives you? Now, I feel Zacchaeus' pain. At five foot five and three quarter inches, I can relate, okay? That was the last data that came in a few years ago, so I think it might be even a little lower. So what does he do? Zacchaeus isn't proud here. He just got to see this Jesus guy, so running ahead. 
He climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since Jesus was going to pass that way. Let me show you a sycamore tree. And by the way, the reason I show some of these visuals from ancient Israel and modern day Israel is to say the Bible isn't a myth. It isn't a legend. It isn't just some kind of pie in the sky. This is real places. Jericho. In fact, if you go to Israel, always encourage that. There's modern day Jericho, there's ancient Jericho where you do the archaeology and the tells. This is in modern Jericho, right in the heart of the city. This is a sycamore tree. Can you picture wee little Zacchaeus, four foot nine, climbing up this tree to get a peek at Jesus? I can. But folks, the word of God is just true. Jericho's a real place, sycamore trees are real. Little guys climb trees to see Jesus. Continue on, verse five. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, because today I must stay at your house. So he quickly came down, welcomed him joyfully. And all who saw it began to complain. The King James, if you have it, says muddle. They started murmuring. They're frustrated. They're ticked off. Can you imagine the chatter in the crowd? And what are they complaining about? He's gone to lodge with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor Lord. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. And I love this beautiful statement. Today, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house. Why? Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, again, it's hard for us <clears throat> in 21st century America to put ourselves in the ancient world, but try to just for a minute. Who's Jesus right now in the Gospel of Luke? Number one, he's Rabbi Jesus. Number two, he is a Messiah figure who's going to overcome Rome. They're heading to Jerusalem. The big days are coming. Guess what? We're going to be free. Everybody's expectations were off the charts for this Jesus Rabbi Messiah. And so there's tension. And now we see Jesus befriending who? The scum of the earth, the lowlife, the traitor, the extortioner, the chief tax collector in Jericho. And so, folks, great tension in the crowd. And Luke wants you to feel it. But hasn't that been the narrative all along in Luke? He's a friend of who? The leper. He's a friend of the, the prostitute who, who busts in during a meal and, and takes her hair and humbly washes his feet with perfume. He's a friend of the old man with a withered hand, and he heals him on the Sabbath, remembering he got in trouble for it. He's a friend of all of us here this morning. He's a friend of sinners. And so here's the encouragement. There are some great truths for all of us to learn today. And we're going to focus on what it means, folks, to become a friend of sinful people. And here's the deal. <laughs> There's no lack of sinful people. Would you agree? And all you have to do is look in the mirror and you'll find one. So let's dive in. I hope with all my heart, you know, we work hard on these connect cards. We always encourage you to take notes. Want you to put those in your Bibles. Want you to take them home. I put mine on the fridge just for reference, for calendar stuff. But boy, these are truths we can pass along. 
to our families, to maybe someone in our life group. Come prepared this week to your life group. So we always encourage you, dive in, take some notes. But let's start with the blessing. The blessing is this. By emulating the lifestyle of Jesus, each one of us can become a friend of sinners. You know, Paul said this, be an example of me, even as I am of Christ. Christ is the ultimate example. Let's emulate how he engaged sinful people, learn from him, and see the kingdom come. Four lifestyles this morning. Number one, like Jesus, create safe relationships. And friends, the word safe is very, very important here. There was no safe place for Zacchaeus. He literally is a criminal. He is despised in his community. He couldn't walk into a coffee shop without the people talking about him. This guy was, yeah, he was rich, he was affluent, but he was criminal in his behavior and totally looked down upon. So what does Jesus do in this passage? It's super fun. He initiated what is called ancient hospitality. Why? To build a safe place, to build a relationship with a criminal, a chief of sinners, to hear a story. And so Zacchaeus could get to know Jesus, and don't miss this, Jesus could get to know Zacchaeus. Now, what I love about this is not only would Jesus lodge there, but in the ancient world, hospitality, and much like today, they would be having a meal together. And folks, meals in the ancient world are over the top about friendship, about relationship, about reconciliation, about hang time. You go around the world, I'll promise you this, on any kind of mission, effort, or if you're just traveling, meals on 15, 20, 30 minutes, there isn't drive through around the world. Guess what? You sit down, you have soup, you get salad, you get some potatoes, you get the meat. Two hours later, you're looking at your watch. I got to get back to the mission. No, meals matter. Why? It's about community, and that's what's going on here. It's all about getting to know this sinful man. Now, here's the thing. In the four gospel records, we have eight accounts of meals that Jesus participated in. Please don't miss this. Three were normal. One's in John 2, wedding feast of Cana. He was there provided some wine, really cool. Another's in John 11. Uh, friends, Mary, Martha, uh, invited him for, for dinner, and they hosted him. Luke 24, the men on the road to Emmaus. Hey, come, stay with us, have a meal. Three of the eight were just common meals. Good time, hang time. Five were over the top, dealing with broken, marginalized, hurting, sinful people. One was with Simon the leper. And we know what leprosy meant in the ancient world, right? They were quarantined. They were the untouchable. Jesus is having meal with a leper. I've already alluded to Simon the Pharisee. When a prostitute busted in, took her hair and washed his feet, this Pharisee was aghast. Why are you letting her do this to you? You're a rabbi. It shouldn't be happening. And Jesus allowed it. And there was salvation that was brought to her life. The other three, folks, please hear me. The other three of the eight, it was all about meeting with publicans, tax collectors, and in this case, a chief tax collector. Do you see what Jesus did? Because he was a friend of sinners, he took the culturally relational environment and said, I value you. I want to create a safe place. There's no ridicule and condemnation here. 
I want to get to know your story and the inside. I want to peel back the layers, Zacchaeus, because we're all hurting and we know that. Why? Sin brings death. Sin brings brokenness. And that's exactly what he did. And what a beautiful picture. So now jump to verse 7 and don't miss this. Look at the response. We've already alluded to this. He's gone to lodge with what kind of man? Sinful man. Now, folks, we got to pause here. This might be review for you, but you have to ask the question, what was the crowd thinking? Why would they point to him? Why? Because he was the chief tax collector because his sins were over the top? Could it be that the crowd, and please don't miss this, like most people, had a rating system for sinners? It may be an unspoken system. It may be driven by cultural norms. It may be arbitrary gauge of goodness and badness, but I would contend this. Every one of us sitting here, every one of us watching online has a gauge for what's right and wrong, and we measure, and we judge. I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up with an arbitrary gauge. I was kind of taught in the religious system that there were little sins and big sins. Anybody grew up with that? The technical term was venial sins and mortal sins. Anybody remember that day? Okay. So here's the deal. I could do the venial things, right? You know, pick on my brothers, maybe tell a white lie. But you start moving over to the mortal sins, guess what? Lightning could hit. Okay, things like that. And so basically what we say, kids, if you're with me this morning, just imagine going to McDonald's, right? And we have this picture of how uh, people view sins. We might have a small cup, 12 ounces, a little bigger cup, 16, a little bigger cup, 20, extra large. Then you got, what's the other one? The one the kids always get? Supersize. I think that's what's going on in the ancient world and certainly today. We have categorized sin, that some are lesser and, oh, they're not so bad. Oh, those are medium-sized sins. But boy, oh boy, if we start pushing those harder sins, those are extra large. Those are the scarlet letter kind of sins. Those are the unpardonable sins, and yes, we have categories for it. You know what's beautiful about Jesus? He doesn't differentiate. He just doesn't. Sin is sin. Sin brings death. Sin breaks lives. His brother gives some clarity regarding this. Let me show it to you. It's in James chapter 2.10. You don't need to turn there, but I do want you to hone into this. James 2.10, whoever keeps the entire law. And by the way, the entire law isn't just 10 commandments. There were 613 commandments that we can count in the Old Testament. And then you add the interpretation of those laws. It was over the top. Whoever keeps the entire law yet fails in one point, what happens? It's like we're guilty of breaking the whole law. Why? As was suggested earlier, God is righteous. He's perfectly righteous. And he cannot be in the presence of sin. And yeah, maybe we have a gauge, but God doesn't. Sin is sin, and sin separates us. And that's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to become a friend of sinners, to pay the penalty for our sin. What a blessing. So can we make this real personal? Because I'm going to challenge each and every one of us, and I'm in this challenge at the end of the talk. Are there people in your life that you kind of think, you know what? They're beyond the reach of God. They're like, 
supersized sinners, extra large sinners, man, they just, they're just done. Forget about them. Let's just focus on these. These individuals have, you know, lesser sins. I see just the opposite in Scripture. The people who responded to Jesus most were the most broken people, not the most righteous people. That's why Jesus says, what? A physician is needed for sick people. He came as a spiritual physician to heal the sick, the broken hearts. And those, for the most part, as you read, responded to the gospel. They saw their brokenness. So can you join the journey of Jesus, and don't count anybody out. I would say this, if you looked at my life when I was a teenager, you'd probably say supersized, no hope for Keith. Well, God didn't say that. He loved a sinner. Saved me, rescued me, what a blessing. Lifestyle number two, let's keep going. Like Jesus, create loving relationships. Now this is different than safe. Safe's really important. People got to be able to let their hair down. They got to get comfortable. They can't always be on the defensive. Wow, I'm with a Christian or I went to a church or I'm in this holy meeting. Safe is one thing. Loving's another. Where do I get loving? Look at verse one, please. Jesus entered Jericho and notice the next phrase, and was passing through. Okay? He wasn't planning to stop. He's moving through Jericho. He's heading to Jerusalem. That's the inference that Luke has given. Look at verse 5. However, today I must stay at your house. And so, folks, what Jesus does here is, and again, there's cultural things going on. We got to go back 2,000 years. Jesus does what I would contend the unthinkable in Jericho. What is the unthinkable? Here's how it works in a culture of hospitality. The elders are in charge of hospitality. They control how village life works. We have friends now in northern Canada working among tribal people group. The elders determine where they will live. That's just how it is. The missionaries say, yes, thank you, we'll live there. Same thing in the ancient world. So if you're coming like Jesus was into Jericho, the elders appointed hosts. And so let's say you're a host. Isaac, can I use you as a host? You look like a good host. Actually, you did good hosting today. My favorite host, Isaac Norton. So here's the deal. Isaac's the host, and he's ready. Oh, Jesus is in town. Heard about this rabbi. Boy, they think maybe he's got some messianic tendencies. So Isaac's already appointed. He's in charge of making sure Jesus and whoever's with him goes into the right home who would honor him take care of his needs, lodging, take care of his food, have a good meal. Why? When Jesus leaves Jericho, word on the street, man, you want to go to Jericho, they take care of you. A good name is better than great riches. A name of a community, a name of elders is really important in the ancient world and today. So what does Jesus do? Would Isaac ever appoint Zacchaeus to be a host in that community? The scum of the earth? The chief tax collector? The one on the lowest rung of the ladder? Never. So Jesus says, you know what? Let's just put all this cultural stuff aside. Zacchaeus, today I must stay at your house. Guess what Jesus does? He appoints himself as the host. Now that might seem like, hmm, didn't honor the elders. Well, you couldn't honor them. Why? Because they didn't get it. Sometimes you have to, you know, break that which isn't working to establish that which is so much better. And so much better is having a meal, lodging, hang time, a safe place, a loving relationship. Now, why does Jesus do it? 
Why does he overcome the cultural uh, separation, segregation, if you will? He lived the second great commandment perfectly. Do you know the second great commandment? First is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Second, love your neighbor as your self. Jesus didn't bias this guy. He didn't push him aside. He didn't look at him as a chief of sinner. He looked at him like he looks at us, needing the love and grace of God. And boy, was that administered. And so at 50,000 feet, what's Jesus doing? He's representing the love of the Father to people. Let me read with you to you Romans 5, 6 through 8. It's beautiful. Sometimes we quote verse 8 and we leave out the previous verses. I think contextually it's really important. Paul writes, For while we are still helpless at the appointed moment, Christ died for who? For us, the ungodly. And then notice his argument. For rarely will someone die for a righteous, for a just person. Though, for a good person, perhaps, just perhaps, someone might even dare to die. But, over the top, agape love, God proves his love for us. And that while we're still sinners, what happens? Christ died for us. That's the love of God. Jesus blessed Zacchaeus by demonstrating God's love. John 15 is so clear, there's no greater love than one lay down his life for his friends. I shared this story with the elders. I think it's appropriate this morning, and I'll, I'll keep it generic. A few weeks ago, I had an individual ask. It was an interesting question. Never really got this question before. And the question was, you know, uh, if I come to Westwind, can I wear a hat? So I just didn't really know what to say. I was like, well, that's an interesting question. Can I wear a cap, basically? I said, well, why do you ask? And the individual said this, and it really got my attention. I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be judged for what you wear? That clothing is the first thing that comes to your mind instead of Christ? What has happened that people who might be outside visiting the potential faith community starts thinking about man? It's about shoes and jackets and caps versus Christ. I would suggest just from that little story, we got some work to do. Now, I'm not pointing a finger, folks. I'm not suggesting that's here at, at Westwood. And by the way, the individual came, had the cap on. It was no big deal. I didn't even bring it up. Because it doesn't matter, does it? Let's see. Anybody here with a cap on? Uh, by the way, this is a cap-free, but we got some masks. I was going to wear my mask this morning, Buffalo Bills. Did you watch the game? No? All right. Just saying. Uh, it's a good game. So... Loving relationships, safe relationships, two more. We'll wrap it up. Lifestyle number three. Like Jesus, and you're going to love this, folks, create responsible relationships. Jesus isn't given a pass. This is grace and truth. John 1:14. When they saw Jesus, he was full of grace and truth. So what do we see? Romans 2, 4. Check this verse out, folks. Don't miss this. Paul writes, God's kindness is intended to do what? Lead us to repentance. Do you realize this morning you worship a kind God, a loving God, a gracious God? 
He's not a cosmic killjoy. He's not sitting in there up in heaven ready to whack you when you mess up. The kindness of God leads you to repentance. And so it begs the question, how did Jesus demonstrate God's kindness to Zacchaeus? Well, here's what I would suggest. Zacchaeus never heard these words from Jesus. Words like, hey, buddy, if you clean up your life, if you start, stop ripping people off, if you get your act together, Zacchaeus, then yeah, just maybe I'll have a meal and come and lodge with you. There's nothing in the text for that, folks. All Jesus says is, today I must stay at your house. And boy, the crowd was in an uproar. You know, I sometimes like to create pictures, and especially for the kids. How many of you kids have watched The Wizard of Oz? Have you seen that movie before? Let me see your hands, kids, see if you're with me. Yeah, Boz is a big kid. We got Mark Redder, he's a big kid. I like this movie, haven't seen it in a few years, but guess what? Sometimes we think God treats us like Oz treated Dorothy. And here's the deal. Here's how Oz treated her. Bring me the broom, Dorothy. Perform. Make the grade. Work. Do something exceptional. Do your part. Make the grade. And then maybe, just maybe, I'll work on behalf of you. Does God treat us like that? No. It's just the opposite. No performing, no making the grade, no doing your part, your work. Responding to the kindness of God. And so, here's what happens. When Zacchaeus responds to the kindness of God, you know what happens? His life is changed from the inside out. I would condemn this if you're taking notes. A greedy man becomes a godly man. That's profound. But that's a mirror of your life and mine. Yeah, I grew up greedy. I grew up selfish. I still have selfish tendency. But in Christ, the spirit, the word, the body works to transform the greedy man into a godly man. What a beautiful thing. And so let me show you that as we tie this all together. Look at verses 8 and 9. This, this is powerful, folks. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. So now he has this brokenness for the down and outers, for the needy, for the hurting. Wow, that's interesting. Lord, and if I've extorted anything from anyone, that's rhetorical, of course he has. He know he has. That's just how it worked in the ancient world. That's why they were despised and hated. I'll pay back four times as much. Jesus says today, salvation has come to this house. Because he too is a son of Abraham. So here's what's happening, folks. Zacchaeus knew the law. He's going back to two passages. Leviticus 5, you can read it. Numbers 5, you can read it. The law said this. You rip someone off, if I rip off 100 bucks, I have to pay 120, 20% more to just recompense, to pay back. What does Zacchaeus says? Forget about that uh, lower standard. I'm going to up it. I'm going to four times, I'm going all in. I'm demonstrating there is true repentance. And so what happened is he saw a sin in his encounter with Christ. He repented of his sin. He put his faith and trust in Christ. Boom. He was given a new heart. He had his heart transformed. And it's evidenced in a responsible lifestyle. You will always see evidence of a transformed heart. When God gives us a new heart, boom, life changes. Now, if you think that's a one-off, let me show you one more passage. 
Jesus had an encounter with a gal who really had a bad reputation. She was literally caught in the act of adultery. And they were like, hey, the law says stoner. What do you say, Jesus? He did some things with the law. Next thing you know, his condemners left, older to younger. Where are your condemners? They're gone. I don't condemn you. But notice what Jesus says in John 8 to the woman caught in a very act of adultery. Leave your life of sin. Don't miss this, folks. Genuine repentance, transformed heart, new life in Christ means new direction. You get a new mind, you get a new heart, you get a new will. He gives her all the grace in the world, but then closes with truth. Leave your life of sin. That's the gospel. The gospel is always grace and truth. It's just not grace and then keep sinning. It's grace that transforms And we live a life of righteousness. And so thank God for that. Now finally, lifestyle number four, like Jesus, create missional relationships. This is so fun how this passage kind of broke broke out. But look at verse 10. Verse 10 is so fun. For the Son of Man is what? Come to seek and to save those who are lost. That's why he broke the cultural norm. That's why he said, I must stay at your house. That's why he had a meal with the chief tax collector, the scum of the earth. Why? Jesus is on mission. Now, folks, please hear me. First thing we have to do is focus on people, not on mission. But know this. Every time we engage people, there is the privilege to seek and to save those who are lost. And that's a privilege. Go back to the sheep metaphor. If a sheep has drifted, if they're near a cliff, if a wolf is coming, if someone's going to steal the sheep from the fold, isn't it wonderful that the shepherd goes seek and save? Absolutely. So that's just part of it. It's a beautiful part of it. I hope you're getting familiar with Westwind's mission statement. And I should kind of pick on maybe our transitioning elder. You ready to quote this, Scott? No. He says, no, I'm done. Anybody have enough guts to quote the uh, new mission statement? Those of you in the back who have gone through the journey experience. Westwind Church exists to? Glorify God. That's good. By? Not good. Not feeling the love. Yes, thank you, Scott. Scott got it. By engaging people everywhere in journey of Christ likeness. Well, we, we got there. It only took us 12 minutes. So if we go over, blame it on them. But folks, that's what Jesus did, right? He's glorifying the Father, John 17. I've completed the work you gave me to do. How? By engaging people everywhere, lepers, prostitutes, tax collectors, chief tax collectors, you name it, he's all in. So they could be conformed to the image of Christ. Today, salvation. I'm going to give payback. I'm going to take care of the poor. That's a transformed life. Now, let's make it really, really practical. You got a pen? You got something to write on? All right, a few of you do. See some nodding heads. I love the uh, country of Israel. Been there a few times. Love the Sea of Galilee. Learned a lot about how they fished in the ancient world. 
One thing I learned, absolutely, fishing wasn't recreational. Dads didn't take their boys and let's catch a few sunnies today and take a few pictures and send it home. It didn't work like that. Fishing was an industry. This is money making. And fishing in the ancient world was intentional. This comes from the 1890s when the American colony developed in uh, Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Here's a guy throwing out his dragnet, right time of day, right process to bring in the fish. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. You want to go fishing? Here's what we want to do, 2021. We want to start fishing, all right? So let me use the acrostic fish to give you just a challenge, and me as well. S stands for friendships first. Folks, I alluded, people are not projects, please. People are not projects, Maybe early on, I'll have to confess, early on in my faith journey, I might have kind of lived, thought like that a little bit more. They're not projects, they're people. And every person like Zacchaeus has their story. Engage them, build the friendship first. Then secondly, I stands for initiate spiritual dialogue. You take the journey experience, I promise you this. One of the things we camp in on is sharing your testimony writing it out, learning to contextualize it and initiating with people. Start with your story. Tell people what Jesus has done for you. Initiate a spiritual dialogue. Build that relationship and move towards, wow, my life is a little bit different, a little bit unique. Third, share the good news. At some point in time, we have to do the acts boldness. Lord, give me boldness to Share the gospel. I am so thankful. 41 years ago, some good buddies said, Keith, here's the truth. It's your choice. And then finally, H, help people make a decision. And what I mean by that is this. People need to know what it means to put their faith and trust in Christ. You know what the New Testament world did to help people make that decision? You know what they did? They did baptism. Because if you've truly believed, now you'll enter the waters of baptism. You'll be immersed, dying with Christ, raising to walk a new life. His death, burial, and resurrection will be a picture of your faith journey. You help people say yes to Christ, not only just with your mouth, confessing, which was important, but then testifying publicly through believers' baptism. So help people take those next steps. So here's the question. You might want to write this down. I'm writing it down. We're praying about it. Who's the one? Who's the one that God is going to divinely bring into your life? Remember, Jesus was passing through, recalibrated. Today, I must stay at your house. Who's the one that's divinely going to come across your path? And then you're going to say, you know what? I had my own agenda. I was passing through. I'm going to change that. And I'm going to camp on this divine appointment. Who's the one God's going to bring to you? And you're going to build that friendship. You're going to initiate spiritual dialogue. You're going to pray about lovingly sharing the truth of the gospel and help them come to genuine faith in Christ. Take next steps. Baptize. Why? You identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. You confess him publicly to men. Isn't that a beautiful passage? Aren't you glad Jesus is a friend of sinners? I put my, ma- my name there. He's a friend of Keith Missile. 41 years ago, I experienced it, and I experience it today, folks. And I'm so glad. I'm so in love with my Savior, who saved me, who loved me, who accepted me, who didn't say perform. He performed for me. So now I could 
uh, be found in Christ and live in a manner worthy of the gospel. That is the good news. Let's stand together. Let's worship the Lord through song.